Sunday blessings to you all. This is the Lord's Day, the day of resurrection, that commences a new week and offers a new opportunity to be drawn by grace more deeply into the paschal mystery of Jesus Christ. Through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, may each of us graciously respond to Jesus' invitation to live more deeply his passion, death, and glorious resurrection and ascension, and be drawn into loving communion with God our Father. You are listening to Encountering Jesus with the Church Fathers, a podcast pondering patristic commentary and insight on the sacred scriptures, the sacred liturgy, and living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Father Mark, and I welcome you to this podcast on the 21st Sunday in Ordinary Time. Guiding us this Sunday in opening the Word of God is Origin of Alexandria. Regarded as an ancient Christian writer, he undeniably influenced some of the great fathers of the Church, as well as believers and theologians throughout the centuries. He was the oldest of seven children, born around the year 185 into a very devout Christian family. In the year 202, a persecution of Christians broke out, and while many fled, Origen's family remained, resulting in the arrest and eventual execution of his father, Leonides. At the age of 17 or 18, Origen penned an exhortation to martyrdom addressed to his father with the intent of strengthening his father's resolve to remain steadfast in his witness to Jesus Christ. Following his father's martyrdom, Origen continued his insatiable thirst for knowledge and availed himself of some of the finest teachers in Alexandria. In so doing, he discovered a second love, teaching. While Origen was a gifted teacher in many fields of human knowledge, it was his love of sacred scripture that seized him to the core. The local bishop asked Origen to prepare catechumens for baptism within the context of the famous Alexandrian catechetical school founded earlier by Panteus and enhanced by St. Clement of Alexandria. Building on their foundation, Origen's contributions resulted in the Alexandrian Catechetical School becoming the premier center for Christian theology. Due to some difficulties with the local bishop, as well as an invitation from the bishops of Caesarea, Origen eventually left Alexandria for the Holy Land and began what many scholars call the second major phase of his life. It was during this time in Caesarea that he produced even more commentaries on sacred scripture and honed his allegoric method for biblical exegesis, for which he has become well known. In the year 250, another round of persecutions erupted under Emperor Dacius. 
Arjun was imprisoned, and according to some of his biographers, he was tortured severely and then offered rehabilitation, only to have the pattern of torture and rehabilitation repeated. The emperor did not want Arjun to die a martyr, but wanted to break his faith and commitment to the person Jesus. Such did not occur, and because of Origen's faithfulness to the person Jesus, history has bestowed upon him the title Adamantus, Man of Steel. When the persecutions ended and Origen was released from prison, he died about six months later, around the year 254, although some scholars maintain it was 253. Origen was a prolific writer, and a number of his writings are extant. On this Sunday, we listen to an excerpt from his commentary on the Gospel of St. Matthew, wherein Origen ponders the conversation between Jesus and St. Peter at Caesarea Philippi. In addition, the podcast description also contains a link to this Sunday's blog article, reflecting on the difference between Shebna and Eleakim and its significance for Christian living. And now, from Origen's commentary on the Gospel according to St. Matthew. Let us see in what way it is said to Peter and to every faithful person who is Peter I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. First, I think the Lord had said prior, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the underworld will not prevail against it. And consequently afterwards, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. For the person who has blocked the gates of the underworld so that they do not prevail against him, is worthy to receive the keys of the kingdom of heaven from that same word. For it is if, as if the keys of the kingdom of heaven are given in the second rank as a prize to the person who has been able, by his virtues, to block the gates of the underworld, so that he in himself may open the gates of the kingdom of heaven that are closed to those who are conquered by the gates of the underworld. And he who is indeed pure enters through some gate of purity, his purity itself opening it for him as a key. And the just person enters through the gate of justice, which is opened by the key of justice, and so with each individual virtue. When someone shall have begun to be serious about it, throws itself open, as it were, before the person who has approached it from the heart. It is the Lord, of course, who opens it by his grace for the person who has not been conquered by the gates of the underworld, so that the virtue the gate, and the key to the gate 
are found to be the same, and as many keys are found as there are gates. But perhaps also each virtue is a kingdom of heaven, and altogether are the kingdom of the heavens. In accordance with this, the person who lives virtuously is seen already to be in the kingdom of the heavens. Perhaps that statement is made in relation to this understanding too. Do penance. The kingdom of heavens has come near, so that it should not be referred to time, but to the action and intention of each person, because it is said, the kingdom of heavens has come near, which is Christ, who is all virtue, who has come and spoken. For just as the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, Behold here, behold there, but it is within the disciples of Christ, so too in respect to the kingdom of the heavens. Now, consider how much power the rock has on which Christ builds the church, and everyone who says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, so that even now his judgments remain firm, as if God is judging through him, if, moreover, the gates of the underworld shall not have prevailed against him in that very thing which he judges. The gates of the other world, therefore, prevail against him, who judges unjustly and neither binds on earth in accordance with the word of God, nor looses in accordance with his will. That person, however, judges justly against whom the gates of the underworld do not prevail. And because of this, he has the keys of the kingdom of heaven and opens for those who have been loosed on earth so that they may be loosed and free in heaven. And he shuts to those who have been bound on earth by his just judgment so that they are bound as it were in heaven and judged. But since those who have laid claim to the position of bishop use this text as Peter and holding the key of the kingdom of heaven, which has been received from Christ, teach that those who have been bound by them have also been bound in heaven, and those who have been loosed by them, that is, have received forgiveness, have also been loosed in heaven. It must be said that they speak well if they have those words on account of which it was said to Peter, You are Peter, and are such people that Christ builds his church on, and if the gates of the underworld do not prevail against them. Otherwise, it is ridiculous that we should say that he who is bound by the ropes of his own sins and draws his own sins as a long rope 
and his iniquities as the strap of a heifer's yoke, has power of this kind just because he said it to be a bishop. So that sins he has loosed have been loosed in heaven, or sins he has bound on earth have been bound in heaven. Therefore, let the bishop be irreproachable, who, whether he binds or looses, is worthy to bind or loose in heaven. Let him be the husband of one wife, sober, pure, honorable, hospitable, teachable, not a drunk, not violent, but forbearing, not contentious, not one who covets money, presiding well over his own house, having sons who are subject with all purity. If he is such a person, he will not bind unjustly on earth or loose without judgment. For this reason, whatever such a person shall have loosed on earth will be loosed also in heaven, and what he shall have bound on earth will be bound also in heaven. For if someone shall not be Peter, as I thus describe, and shall not have possessed the things which are spoken of in this passage as if to Peter, and shall have supposed himself able to bind in such a way that they are bound in heaven and to loose so that they are loosed in heaven, he is deceiving himself, not understanding the will of Scripture, and puffed up, he falls into judgment of the devil. Then he commanded his disciples not to tell anyone that he is the Christ. After Jesus began to show his disciples that he had to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the princes and the scribes and be killed and on the third day to rise again. It is written above that Jesus sent these twelve, saying to them, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter the cities of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and what follows. He said this to them when he sent them to preach. Let us see, therefore, if when they do the works of the apostolic office, he wanted them also at this time to preach that he was the Christ, and if he wished this, it is important to ask why it is that he now commands his disciples not to tell anyone that he is the Christ. But if he did not wish it, how are those things from the testimony which he commanded them to be preserved, such as, for they will deliver you to the councils and beat you in their synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings on account of me for testimony to them and to the Gentiles. And this, when they hand you over, do not be concerned about how or what you shall say, for what you shall say will be given to you in that hour. And the following words down to, 
you will not complete the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. I do not know how these words can be understood if they did not confess Jesus to be the Christ. In the same way also, what sort of confession in Christ is indicated by the words, Everyone who shall have confessed me before men, unless someone dares to say that he did not want it to be preached at that time that Jesus himself is the Christ. But he said these things, so that one not refer the interpretation of this passage to a future time after the disciples of Jesus had been called Christians, since that name begins from Antioch. All holy men and women, pray for us. Let us pray. O God, who caused the minds of the faithful to unite in a single purpose, grant your people to love what you command and to desire what you promise, that amid the uncertainties of this world, our hearts may be fixed on that place where true gladness is found. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. <laughs>